Welcome to The Five, a podcast built to inform nonprofits about critical functions that will improve their organization. I'm your host, Eric Morcheski, CEO and co-founder of Nimble Strategies. We are bringing The Five to you as a part of our company's five-year anniversary celebration with thought leaders from across the country. Welcome to The Five. Hi, I'm here today with Adam Davis, the Senior Vice President of Arts Consulting Group, or ACG, uh, here today to talk about facilities and operations planning. Adam, it's so great that you're here with us today. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you've come into this role. Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here today. Um, my background is really in the performing arts and theater world. I started my career way back in Southern California, uh, working for places like La Jolla Playhouse, uh, San Diego Repertory Theater, Pepperdine University, and I spent the majority of my time before moving over to the East Coast at the County of Los Angeles, where I was uh, working as their managing director of productions, which really meant producing a live television show every year, as well as running a 1200 seat outdoor amphitheater. The work done on the amphitheater was a real kind of learning process. I worked there for a little over 10 years. And then from that point on, I moved back to Massachusetts. Uh, where I grew up, where I was born and raised in Massachusetts, moved back to Massachusetts to be closer to family as I had a family and uh, worked for as the managing director of a company called Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts. And since then have moved to St. Louis, where uh, I am now based and senior vice president at Arts Consulting Group, overseeing planning and capacity building. Well, it's great to have you in St. Louis. Uh, we've gotten to know each other well through our families, so it's yep. always it's always good to uh, bring a friend onto the show and, and ha have you join us. Uh, you know, and uh, maybe it's a little easier for you uh, now that you're not having to do all the work. You're just able to tell people what they should be doing. But oh yeah, maybe maybe yeah. Consulting maybe. sometimes <laughs> is tough because you're like, oh, I want to help them do it. It's good to get your hands dirty from time to time. Tell us a little bit about Arts Consulting Group. Who you are? What you guys work on? Yeah, Arts Consulting Group is is based in Canada and the United States, uh, where we do everything from executive search or leadership transitions, uh, revenue enhancement, if you, meaning if you want to understand you know how to fundraise better for your organization, um, if you want to you know, find a new leader, we can do that. And then I oversee the planning and capacity building area, which will do feasibility studies and um, understanding of how a facility might uh, help what you do today or in the future, as well as strategic planning for arts organizations. We are mainly, or I should say solely focused on arts organizations. That's kind of what differentiates us from some of the other uh, organizations out there. I've been working on a, with a group in Florida. I'm working in a group in, in Oregon. I'm working with a group in St. Louis right now. And so it's fun to have projects all over the country. And uh, we have offices all over the country spread out. So you can look us up at ACG. That's great. So we're here today to talk about facilities and operations planning. Obviously an important topic. A lot of people have probably had to pivot a little bit in 2020 when COVID hit because your facilities maybe were uh, mothballed for a little bit. Um, your operations probably changed. And some of that probably adjusted uh, as we all came back into offices and came back to live performances. But some things remained. And so this becomes a really important topic as people think about how they're engaging the public and how they're engaging people to come to their organizations. Why is facilities and operations planning important to you personally? Yeah, personally. So so I had the opportunity, as I mentioned, I'm working for the County of Los Angeles. It was a, a theater that was built in 1920 that I got the privilege of taking over. And, you know, 80 years later, here I am taking over a theater that was built for a different purpose than what it was being used for today, right? 
the, the mandate I had when I was working there was my job was to represent the diversity of Los Angeles on our stage. So it's almost like an impossible task, you know, because LA is so diverse. As we looked at the facility and the kinds of groups that were using it that day, meaning at, at that time versus what it was built for, it was built for, a, you know, a pilgrimage play way back when, or the, when kind of one of the religious pageant type of plays. It, it needed a lot of work. And I kid you not when I said that you could probably take two wires and turn how you turn a light bulb on, you take two wires together and it would turn the light on in one of the in one of the rooms. So we started to patchwork it a little bit here and there. And then we realized you couldn't do A without doing B, but B couldn't happen until C happened, but C had to happen before A could happen. I mean, it became this puzzle of here's an old building that needs to be renovated, needs to be re-looked at, needs to be to re-engaged and reimagined. And this is this is my first time doing it. And what I really appreciated is I had a supervisor. Uh, I was I was the manager of the theater, but I had to, I reported to the the executive director of the LA County Arts Commission. And we saw so many people go through and build spaces that were not either adequate to their needs because they didn't think about it or they built too much and they couldn't actually operate it because their finances wouldn't fit it. So what I learned was you need to lead with programmatic vision. And that was a $60 million project that we did in the renovation there. And the money was well spent. Some of it was the prices would jump over time. But then I also, when I moved to Massachusetts and worked at Shakespeare and Company, we were in the middle of COVID. To your point, 2020, life changed really dramatically and no one wanted to be indoors. And Shakespeare and Company had, at its root, started their company by performing outdoors. Over the 40 years, they had kind of come back indoors. And the artistic director said, I want to get back to our roots. And he'd been wanting to do that since the day I started there. But we didn't really have an impetus that would jump us to be able to make that happen. So that, so let me back up real fast and say, in Los Angeles, that was a four or five year process to get the $60 million raised from the city, or excuse me, from the county or from individual donors, as well as doing a master plan to think what the future would look like. So then when I went to Shakespeare and Company in Massachusetts, we built a $500,000 outdoor theater in six months, right? And we raised the money to do that. So you can do it at both ends of the spectrum as long as you have a clear idea why and where you want to go with it. Uh, why you're building it and what are the steps that you need to get to to make sure that there's success at the end yeah i think so many things come to mind as you talk about some of those stories uh, even just thinking through los angeles and i'm thinking there's probably a number of other buildings that your story would apply to i was thinking of the la coliseum where you have two plays <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, maybe totally. a few others out there that really could use some help with that so you know starting with that facilities and operations planning uh, really can help them as they look through where their future should go and how to get there. So I think that's a, a really good good way for us to jump into the five here of you know facilities and operations planning. So as we look at this as a nonprofit leader, as I start to think about, all right, I, I know I need a facilities and operations plan. What are the five things that I should really be keenly aware of as we get into the, that planning process and probably really even before that? Yeah, I think the first thing that informs everything else is clarity on programmatic vision. Understanding what, if you're building a new building, if you need to renovate a building, or if you need just to figure out how to operate well in the space you're in, it's clarity of programmatic vision. And the reason I say that is, 
so many times and you see it all across the country people have built a theater and i kind of referred to it earlier but so people have built a theater and they said oh i saw a 1200 seat theater in xyz community and we need that up here so i'm gonna i'm gonna go raise the money and make that happen all right great you go raise it and you build a 1200 seat theater but your town can only handle 800 people going to see the theater at a time and then you're like well why are we only half full a third full and then that doesn't hit the operational needs that we have we can't pay for our staff to do that so if you understand the programmatic needs that you have and say you know we're going to be a dance company and we're, we want to make sure that this dance company we think over the course of our history we've sold 300 tickets on average a night so should we build a 1200 seat theater no we should probably build maybe let's be aspirational and build 400 500 seat theater or maybe we build a 300 seat theater and a 99 seat theater just to say oh how do we how do we think through this so one of the things that i like to do and ask you know when someone says we want to do a feasibility study we need to get a theater in our community i first say why and what are you going to do in that space so programmatic vision that's number just, one just to be real clear when you're talking programming because an arts organization probably defines programming different than how you're defining programming here. Maybe. Um, so programming to them may mean what shows they're putting on for the season. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's not what you're talking about, although that can have a have a role in it. Obviously, if you're producing your own shows versus bringing in Broadway shows, that could have a different impact on that visitation number. But can you kind of walk people through what you're talking yeah. about when you're talking programmatic here? Yeah, so it's so it's I, I would say it's yes and to what you just said. So it's understanding what you want to put on that stage, and then what do you need operationally, physically, and staff-wise to make that happen. So yeah, so to your point, I won't say the name, but I worked for a client recently. It was a university that was in a small town, and the university they had done some some visioning of what they wanted to do, but it was really for their university students. In their mind, all their students were gonna come see the shows, but they never asked the students if they were gonna come see the shows. And the students ended up not seeing shows, and so it became for the community. What they did though, is they built a 2000 seat theater. And what's interesting is understanding where the threshold falls. You need probably 2,800 seats to do well in the Broadway sphere to pay for the cost of that. But if you have artists that are not Broadway shows, you may not be able to sell those 2000 seats, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, so you, so understanding that programmatic needs. So when I say programmatic, I do mean what's on stage, but I also mean all the bells and whistles that go behind building it. So if you know that you're going to bring in Broadway tours, you need to make sure that the program, the facility program is set up where you're going to be able to have tractor trailers come in and be able to bring the sets in right you're going to be able to say oh we got to make sure that our we call it the aisles of of the corridors but where the sets are going to roll in have a high enough ceiling to bring all those so so the programmatic vision of first what's going to go on stage and everything that trickles out from that which leads me to the next kind of number two if i can go there mm -hmm. is the programmatic buy-in and usage of the space and those that use it have to tie together. So staff buy-in would be number two. Staff buy-in and understanding how those users, tech crew, house management, donors, or assume like your development team that, you know, maybe they need a donor lounge. Maybe they need a board space. Maybe you're just saying, you know what? We don't want to have exclusive donor lounge, but we want to have a really beautiful open aired plaza because we want to have outdoor events that kind of go in and out depending on there's all the different ways you can think about it and how you're located so 
going back to your original question of usage, it's programmatic usage of everything from what's on stage and how do you get it there? What do you need to get it there? Fundraising wise, as well as the literal physical moving of objects. That holds true for a lot of different uh, aspects, not just for obviously theater companies. I just think back to when we were renovating all the arch grounds and we're moving in. We had these big 12 foot high by 40 foot long screens. The glass was from Germany and they brought them in and they go, they won't fit in this store. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. What do you mean we can't get it into the building? Yeah, <laughs> um, great. And eventually a solution was found and they're in there and they're beautiful and they're immaculate. I wouldn't want to have to replace one. Yeah, right. <laughs> but right. yeah, I mean, you do run into that programmatic, just understanding how your space will be utilized. And, and so and so what I what I say to arts organizations is I love working with architects and I love working with um, and I'm using theatrical consultants, but I could say arts consultants that understand the programmatic use of space. And there's some really great ones out there. And, and theater is my background, which is to your point, Eric, is why I'm using that example. But we, we do work with museums and we do work with, you know, all different types of, 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 of uses and spaces and libraries, what have you. But I think the architect is great because they will help you with the functionality and you want to make sure they're focusing on that. But what you're going to want to give them is this is what we want to do in our space and this is how we want to do it. And then they can draw to that because the thing they're always going to bring is the aesthetic beauty because they want to make it look beautiful. And then they, the, the, the best architects that I've worked with are the ones that make it functional as well. And I think the, the key piece in there, having worked with a lot of architects over time, if you tell them you want something, they're going to give it to you, right? So if you don't understand why you need something, yes. and you're just saying, I want a 1,200-seat theater, they're going to build you a 1,200-seat theater because that's what you told them you wanted. Right. It doesn't matter if that's what you need. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's that definition. That's yeah. the exact definition of what you need versus what you want versus I saw this, maybe we should, you know. So key point two of the five is, you know, getting that staff buy-in and understanding they're all buying in and moving together programmatically. And then I think to make sure you're doing it well and you're starting to build a groundswell of uh momentum to either raising the money to renovate, to raise the money to build new or to even just get an understanding of, hey, we wanna be making sure we're representing our entire community. You start to talk to the people in the community. Can you find those that engage? So it's the community engagement stakeholder conversations to community members who sit outside that may have a different perspective. And you say, yeah, I want 1200 seats using that number. We keep, we're gonna use that number today, I guess. But I want 1200 seats. But maybe there's someone who can be like, you know what, if you do 1500, I know that's a little thing, but I can guarantee you X, Y, and Z, or I can help you bring in, or we can start building this or do a thousand seats. And then maybe we do a 200 seat theater somewhere. And so that there's a way to have, you know, community rentals engaged in that, all the different opportunities. Wouldn't you rather sell out and not fill enough? There's always that, that line. So engaging with your community, listening to people who don't agree with you is okay. In fact, it's actually an awesome experience if you are open enough to hear it because they may not agree and then you can tell them why you why the answer is yes we should go this way and either you'll maybe you'll flip them and you'll now have someone on your side or you'll say okay now i know where the challenges are going to come from and what they are so i would go out there and talk to people you disagree with it's okay yeah i mean unless you're me and you're just always right well i mean you know <laughs> right, right right community engagement is one of those things that 
whether you're talking strategic planning, facilities and operations planning, gets so overlooked yeah. of how yeah. critical it is. It's not for me to tell my customer, because that's what the community is. They're your customer. Yeah. It's not for me to tell my customer what they want and need. It's for me to deliver a product that answers what they want and need. And, and your community can come in different definitions. It can come in as individuals. It can come as organizations. You know, so if you're building a facility and you're going, all right, I know we can fill a theater, but and is there another need out there? It could be, oh, we need rehearsal space. In Los Angeles, there were so many arts organizations that didn't have places to rehearse. We, we started looking at it and going, oh, as we do this renovation, should we make a rehearsal space or should we make a, you know, should we make it a, a small black box theater? And then we, our patrons would say, oh, well, you know, we're really, when we come there, we're there for a long time. The traffic on the, on the 405 is really, really bad, or the 101 is really, really bad in Los Angeles. So when we get there, it takes us an hour to get there. We haven't had dinner before. So can, can there be some great food options? You know, understanding where they're going to support you with their dollar once they come see you is really, really important. And what services do they need? Everything from ADA accessibility to the, the bathrooms for changing children, you know, changing diapers in the, in the bathroom, all of those things. You, you get to hear perspectives that are not your own, which helps inform the best facility you can make. Well, and people should not overlook the old fundraising adage of if you ask a person for a dollar, they'll give you a dollar. If you ask a person for advice, who knows how much they'll give you. Or <laughs> I paraphrased that into my own <laughs> but, uh, version yeah. of it, but the meaning still comes through in that it is a great opportunity to engage your donor community without actually bluntly hitting them in the face and saying, give me your money. Yeah. To exactly. really get them excited and engaged. And one of the things that I find, and I'm going to steal a little bit of your time here, forgive me. Oh, go, go, take it. After you get done with planning studies, you need to bring back the people that you asked for their advice to share the findings of the study. And what that does is you've already told them they were important enough to give you advice. If they're that important, they're important enough to hear the findings. Because mm -hmm. some of it's going to agree with them and some of it's not, right? It, yeah. Nothing is going to be 100% like everything I said to you is what we're going to do. But they feel heard. And by feeling heard, they want to support that vision. And I will say this, you just took the words out of my mouth because that's point four, aligning with your donors, right? Like understanding where you're going and who's going to help you get there, right? Especially as a nonprofit. I mean, there, you know, you may be fortunate enough to have a good big city grant or a big funding grant, but you still have, there's still your, your donors. There's still someone you want to get, check in with. I mean, one of the things we worked with an organization here in Missouri and I said, who is your list of stakeholders? And I said, oh, you're not going to go after, or not, and I say go after, that's not the right word, but you're not going to talk to big donors. So you're not going to talk to foundations like, oh, well, we know what they think. I said, do you? Because one of the reasons why you have a consultant is that we can be a go between where they'll be able to tell us the truth a little bit more in more plain language than they will the arts organization. Because there's, and you know, some donors may be able to tell the arts organization pretty much the truth as well, but we're able to go in there and, and have a, um, a, a separate point of view and provide a different, a different way of, of engaging those donors where we're at the end of the day, not gonna be sitting there with them at the opening night ceremony, but engaging your foundations, your donors, to have that plain language. And sometimes, in fact, more often than not, 
when you say, hey, there, here are 10 donors we want you to talk to, and we'll go out and have those one-on-one conversations and bring the information back, we'll say, you know, that Eric Marcheski, he might be the person you want to talk to to put the name on the building, right? And, you know, I don't know, I Eric. I think we have that kind of money. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but like, but that's the, that's the idea, right? Like, you may, we may be able to help uncover some organization, some opportunities for you just by hearing their enthusiasm. So again, to your point, don't ask them for a dollar, ask them for advice, ask them for what the next step could be. And where do you see the future of this organization going? So that's all part of your fundraising plan that will weave all the way back. I'm going to go back to the beginning of what do you want to do with this space? What's that programmatic aspect that will inspire and get the donors excited? Because if you say, we're going to do our performing arts work that we do, or we're going to do our theater plays, but then we're also going to build a wing that engages 100,000 children a year in arts education. People will roll up their sleeves and go, you are impacting my community. Let's do it. You know, And then you say, here are the ways we're going to do that, but I don't have a building that can do that. Help. Can you help? So that's point number four in, in that. And I think to your to your point, sharing what you find, keeping them engaged along the way, not just the donors, but your staff, mm-hmm. right? Anyone who was important enough to ask the questions of, they were important <laughs> enough to hear the findings, right? Exactly. It's, it's a very yeah. simple one input, one output. <laughs> yeah. And and then the last thing, it's a little, it may seem a little redundant, but the point five, I would say, is going back to reminding yourself who you're building it for and why. Does that make sense? Because again, programmatic vision, talking with donors, talking with staff, uh, understanding you know the community stakeholders, and then reminding yourself of your organization, especially if you're talking nonprofit right now, reminding of your mission, vision, and values of who you're building it for and why. Whether those all of that order can be shifted around depending on the right time to talk to people and engage with people, but it's also, you got to remember why you're doing it and what that that mission vision value is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because we talk in the nonprofit space a lot about uh, mission creep, you know, yes. if you've got to come back to, is this fulfilling our mission, right? Because if you're not able to answer that with whatever action you're taking, whether it's a facility and operations plan or whether it's just how you're operating on a daily basis, there needs to be a much bigger conversation that goes on. Well, and you're going to have, going back to interviewing stakeholders and donors, you're going to have people that have some really amazing ideas that are not for you to execute, Mm -hmm. right? So someone may say, you know, oh, it was funny when we were doing the the outdoor amphitheater at Shakespeare and Company, it was like, oh yeah, you know, this will be great. You can build a 500 seat space and you'll be able to, you know, we can put a roof on it eventually, right? And you're like, oh, great. That's fine, but the whole point is to be in nature, to connect with nature, right? And they're like, oh, right. So, you know, they may say, I'm going to give you a million dollars to put a roof on it or $5 million to put a roof on it, whatever the number ends up being. And you're like, great. But one of our priorities are in our mission is to make sure that we're connected with nature. So, how about we figure out a way to naturally build something that feels more in nature than a roof over our head or, you know, Oh, one of the things that was really key was when we were in Los Angeles, the theater that I worked at, you had 100 steps to get from the entrance to where the amphitheater is because it was built on a hillside. So it was always about getting people up to the facility. And so we had ways to do that. We built an elevator. We did all that. But then also the parking lot was really far away in our minds 
from that. So the architect really helped us. They sat us down and they said, all right, I want you to think about how far you're willing to walk to get to the entrance. I was like, okay. So being in Southern California, she said, okay. And she brought she gave us examples, Disneyland, Dodger Stadium, the mall, right? Like the local downtown mall, which is starting to dry up these days, we know. And uh, I can't remember what the third well, was. Like the zoo. Getty. No, I was Getty. thinking the Getty. I mean, you're so far away from the actual museum. You act, you're not even on the right side of the highway when you park. <laughs> and so the so the question was, and they showed us they showed us from Dodger Stadium like the meet the mid size point of like all the places you could go. And like, you know, it was I can't I don't remember exact numbers, so don't quote me. But it's like okay, if it was a thousand feet to Dodger Stadium, and you were like, yeah, I can do that for Dodger Stadium, and ours was probably three hundred feet, and Did it gave you sell hot dogs. Feet. How was that? Did you sell <laughs> hot dogs? Did you sell Dodger dogs? <laughs> we didn't sell Dodger dogs, but we sold some better stuff than that. But the point I'm trying to get at is it, it changed the perspective of what we were willing to ask our patrons to do. Like, yeah, you do a thousand feet or whatever. It was could be a hundred thousand feet, whatever the number was for Dodger Stadium. Why wouldn't they do it for the Giants and Fourth Theater and, you know, Hollywood, California, right? So it, So all of that to be said is remember why you're doing it and then you don't want the mission creep to say like, oh, someone's willing to build you a new parking lot, but that's going to take away from what you really want to do programmatically. That's why I, I could, the tangent of the parking lot is really what I was getting at. It's like someone says, oh, we'll give you money for a parking lot. You're like, but do we really need it? Mm -hmm. You know, and if so, why? So we've gone through these facilities and operations planning, the programmatic understanding, the you know, staff buy-in, the community engagement, alignment, the who and the why. A lot of these are are things to keep in mind if you're a nonprofit leader that remain true no matter how you're approaching your your planning process, right? Mm -hmm. it, this doesn't change whether it's 2008 and you're going through the financial crisis or 2020 and COVID or any time in between where you're just having a standard operating plan that you're you're producing. What do you see changing though in the future of uh, facilities and operations plans? Yeah. Well, I just want to, you just sparked something in my mind. It was when you talked about 2008. Um, that's the time I was at Los Angeles County. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a wise person said to me, when you're going through financial crisis, when the world is going through financial crisis, that's the time to plan. Because when the world will eventually come out of that, you are shovel ready with your plan. And that's exactly what happened to us. We were lined up in the front of the line to be ready to take advantage of the opportunities that were there. So I just that's a little thing that tidbit that I learned how that translates to today. What I'm seeing out there in the world right now, especially for arts organizations, is can you collaborate? Can you work together when you're thinking about your strategic or operational plan or facility plan? You know, more than ever these days, arts organizations are tr struggling for that almighty dollar from the donor, from the ticket buyer, uh, from the foundation, and they're getting stretched tighter and tighter as costs go up and salaries go up, but revenue isn't jumping and the donors are being more frugal with their dollar, right? And the gen and generation uh, X is now coming into the more of the senior adult life as opposed to the generations before us, I should say. And, and in thinking of that, I encourage organizations to say, how can you work together? How can your facility not only suit you, but help others rise? And so I think that's what's important to me as we th see things change is what's the, what's the uh, all boats rise with the tide? Like if you're all working together, I see this as an opportunity to share resources 
we're I'm working on a, a with the city right now and one of the things we we did a survey and we said how do you utilize your space right and it was just just a few minutes ago that i was talking to someone and they said this is really interesting 40 percent of the organizations in our city say they have their own space to utilize and then we asked them how they utilize it and they were like for internal office meetings and storage what they didn't have was places to perform and so the city's going ah they don't have a place to to incubate and show their work. And now this is performance based, but there's also visual arts, you know, to share those. There's the educational on-site practical use of getting kids hand, hands dirty and whether it's painting or, or or whatever that may be. There can be shared resources, especially now that like, what are you doing? What are these organizations doing where most of your people are working from home now? There's rooms that are empty. Mm-hmm. How are you going to work together to make that happen? How are you going to work that, to engage that? So that's where I see the future of good community planning going. And how can it be something where it's a, a shared use calendar? You have to have a good partnership to do that. But I think it could benefit you more often than not to share those costs. I uh, will throw in with that. One of the things that I believe is important on that collaboration process is doing some form of joint venture planning in that you need to understand what the other group is trying to get out of it because you can two people come together and they say well we both came together to make more money or to cut our costs or whatever it is mm-hmm. well that's again that's lacking that community engagement that you talked about in point three it just happens to be there's only one other group maybe in that community engagement but if you don't ask them what they're trying to accomplish with it your definition of success and their definition of success may not align And you need to understand what you're trying to get to, because it's perfectly okay if they don't align, but you need to understand how they're going to define success. Well, and the relationship has to be mutually beneficial, right? And so you have to have a clarity of what that is. Exactly to your point. Yeah, right on. Yeah. So thank you so much, Adam. Is there anything you'd want to leave listeners with as, as they think through their own facilities and operations plans? I just think, you know, Without giving the the old business pitch, I would just say a consultant can be there to be a great, you know, soundboard. This is what I heard you say. Is this what you really want to you really want to do? And then remember that sometimes a third party can have a more honest conversation with your stakeholders than you can, because at the end of the day, a consultant's not going to tell you what your programmatic vision should be. That's something that you've already started, that you've already engaged, you've built that in there, and you're and you're now you're trying to enhance it. So now it's about how do you get others to join together? And so whether you're partnering, as we said just a minute ago with another organization, how are you all pulling together, moving forward together to make this happen? And a plan is way better than having an architect do drawings first. Yeah, but also don't stay too long on that planning process. No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I that's think, again where hopefully a consultant can yeah. be helpful as they can. Yeah, and to, to say, to give you an idea, at Arts Consulting Group, we usually say a, a good feasibility study and uh, plan can take roughly six months if we do it right. Six to eight, depending on usually the hardest part is getting the stakeholders to actually agree to come to meetings. And if you take that planning process, I promise you the money you spend on that will save you in the long run millions before you build. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be on it. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun. It's fun to be on it and talk about it and, uh, and, you know, and like I said, anytime I can support you, Eric, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Five. Subscribe to our channel and make sure you catch every episode of The Five and reach out to Nimble Strategies today for help with your nonprofit.